Hello there, this is Edwin Crozier from the Franklin Church of Christ, and I am so glad that you have joined us today to listen to this message from God's Word. This is a continuation of our 2005 fall focus on the family built by the Lord. Ken Green, a gospel preacher from Nashville, Tennessee, presented this lesson on family worship. Let me encourage you, open your Bibles with us and learn how you and your family can worship God together. Well, it's a delight to be with you this morning, and I appreciate the invitation. I'm thankful that I can make the arrangements to uh, join with you in this fall focus. Good to meet Brother Crozer and to see several of you that I haven't seen for some time. Your focus is the family. And I would begin by saying that I do not count myself an authority on the subject. Though Peggy and I have been married for 45 years, and we have four children and 14 grandchildren. It's really amazing how raising four children can soften the dogmatism that a person uh, might once have spoken on the subject of child raising and the family, and basically that's what we're going to be looking at in our studies uh, this morning and also this afternoon. I don't know if anyone is really an authority on the subject. I've heard the statement made that by the time we raise our children, uh, or, or by the time that uh, that we become an authority, we're out of a job, and as I said, I... I've raised mine, and I still don't count myself an authority. But um, who who should speak on the subject? I guess the some of the most dogmatic words I've heard spoken uh, have come from those who do not have children, or perhaps are not even married. And uh, certainly, I believe a person can share the scriptures with us on the subject without uh, having uh, raised children himself, and. Yet the fact is, he cannot speak out of his own experience, and I think there's something lacking in the qualifications there. I suppose that we had much rather hear someone speak on the topic who has raised children uh, very successfully, from our standpoint anyway, and uh, perhaps his children are all faithful Christians and so forth, and serving the Lord, and yet I would be reluctant to take too much personal credit for that. Because the fact is, when I come to the Bible, I find many examples there of good people who had bad children and bad people who had good children. And a study of the kings of Israel and Judah is a pretty good exercise in learning some things about that. And while we may not want to hear too much from someone who has raise children, and they are a disappointment to him, perhaps that person could also have some very worthwhile things to say to us. And I think of Solomon and the great things that he said in the book of Proverbs. And yet I'm sure that his son Rehoboam was quite a disappointment to him. So with those um, preliminary things uh, said, our focus is family worship. And I suppose one passage that uh, most everybody is familiar with is the statement made by Joshua in the 24th chapter in verse 15, 
when he said, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I think that statement is quite appropriate because service is a great part of worship and worship a great part of service. We often refer to our worship services and um, I, I believe that uh, that is an accurate uh, expression. In fact, in a sense, all of our lives are to be given unto worship to God. And I have had some preaching brethren uh, argue with me about that, but I believe that's just what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 12, when he talks about presenting our bodies a living sacrifice unto the Lord. Now, that doesn't rule out the fact that there are specific avenues of worship and things that are authorized that we are to do at certain times. But we need to recognize that all of our life is to be given in worship unto God. And I want us to think, first of all, in our study this morning, about three spheres in which God would certainly have us to worship. And this does not rule out the fact that we may worship God in any relationship and at any time. But I believe that there are three spheres and three relationships in which our worship is absolutely essential and crucial. And I want us to think about those for just a moment. You know, one thing that I find that's a great difference as far as the Christian religion from the so-called great religions of the world is in this very matter right here. And there are many differences. I hear people say sometimes that, um, oh, all the religions are basically the same. And that's just not true. There are many, many ways in which the Christian faith is unique. And this is one of those ways. In the so-called great religions of the world, we have man seeking God. But when we come to the faith of Christ, it is God seeking man. And that's an essential difference. Jesus said in Luke 19, verse 10, that the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. And I would call your attention to a very pivotal passage on this matter of worship, and that's in the fourth chapter of the book of John. When the Lord was talking to that woman at the well in Samaria, and in verse 23, He said, But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God seeks us. And God seeks people who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. And when we think about three spheres in which we are to worship God, first of all, I would say there is the individual. And there is the matter of personal worship, and this is basic, this is foundational to all of our worship. Let me back that up. I thought I had something else on that. And I want to think about this matter of personal worship just a little bit more. If we're not worshiping God individually and personally in our daily lives, well then it's very doubtful that we're really going to be worshiping God in spirit and in truth when we come to uh, an assembly of the church such as this. Our worship in our congregation 
Our worship in our family must be the overflow of that personal walk with the Lord. A personal relationship with the Lord. And I know that that's become something of a cliche, and we might wish to sort of avoid that idea of the personal relationship, but you know the thing about most cliches is the fact that they're true. And that personal relationship with the Lord is absolutely necessary. And so I would stress to you, if you're not finding some time in your life on a regular basis, hopefully daily, to go into your closet or closed place or private place and speak to your Father in secret and reflect upon a portion of His Word and spend some time in privately, individually worshiping God, it's doubtful that you're really going to be worshiping God when you come to an assembly such as this. This is foundational to our lives. Now, some of you might say, well, I just don't have the time to do that. And the fact is, my friend, if you don't have the time to do this, well, then you're far busier than the Lord wants you to be. Now, you need to be doing this every day, and I'm not going to talk about the time you need to spend. That's going to depend on individuals and the time that they do have. But, you know, I did a little thinking about this one time, and I thought, if a person just spent ten minutes a day, if he didn't have any more time than that to spend in this activity, and perhaps spent five minutes in reading a portion of Scripture and thinking about that, maybe a, a portion of Scripture that he wishes to share with the family a little bit later, and meditating in the Scriptures for five minutes, and then five minutes or so in praying to God and asking for His strength for the day, and thanking Him, and petitioning Him for some things, and people who are on His prayer list, at the end of the year, He would have spent 60 hours, over 60 hours, in individually worshiping God. Now, that may not seem like too much time when you think about 10 minutes a day. But how much time are you spending? in this matter of personal, individual worship. When we do this, well, then we fill ourselves up. And we have something to share with other people when we come together in the family and in the congregation. And then secondly, there's the matter of family worship. And I'm sure one passage that will be given great emphasis in many of these lessons through this time of study for you would be Deuteronomy chapter 6. And so let us look at this for just a moment. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, and beginning with verse 4, we have what the Jews call the Shema, based upon the Hebrew word for here. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Notice, first of all, the individual is involved. That's the basis. You shall love the Lord your God with everything that is within you. And then he says in verse 6, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. 
your heart. If these things are not in our heart, we cannot impress them upon our children or anyone else. And he goes on to say, You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. And we think about the families and generations and even centuries past, and the hectic lifestyles that we have today, and of course we all realize that it was probably much easier at an earlier time in the history of the world to spend time with your family and spend time with your children than it is today. Those people in an agricultural society would spend hours in the field together, or the mother and daughters in the kitchen perhaps, but we have to seize the opportunities that we have. We have to make opportunities in order to impress these things upon our children. He says, You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. So speak these things that are part of your life, that are written upon your heart. Write them down. Share these things with the family. This is talking about family worship. And I think that there's not a great deal of that going on among families, even among Christians. When we study church history, back in the time following the Reformation, for example, in many parts of Europe and in Great Britain, if a father did not lead his family in worship, if he neglected family worship, he was subject to church discipline. This was a practice that was ingrained in years gone by. And yet, my wife has told me in teaching the classes of little children for the past several years and asking them the question, do you have prayer at home? Do you thank God for your food before you eat? That most all of the children for the past several years say, no, we don't do that in our home. We don't even do that. Fathers especially are addressed in Ephesians 6 and verse 4. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And the father has a responsibility to be the spiritual leader of his family. Of course, if the father will not take the lead, or if he's not a Christian, then a mother needs to do it. And we have the example of the grandmother Lois, the mother Eunice, who brought up Timothy in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, according to Second Timothy, the first chapter. But then in the third place, of course, there is corporate worship, which in our time would be the church, the congregation, as we come together. And just a couple of things I would say briefly about that. In the first place, uh, as I've already mentioned, if you're not worshiping God individually, 
and daily, then you're probably not really going to be involved in the worship when you come to an assembly such as this. And in our day and time especially, people come with the idea that I want to get something out of this, and you often hear people say, well, I didn't get anything out of the worship. When the fact is that people must recognize that worship is not about us. It's about Him. Worship is about God. It's about giving Him the praise and acknowledging Him because of who He is and because of His works. Because He is worthy. And if we come to Him with a proper understanding and attitude in our worship, then incidentally, we will get a great deal out of worship. But I think that's a basic problem that people have. And so they decide, well, we need to change things. We need to do it this way. We need to change tradition. I'm not against changing tradition. If it's tradition, and there may be value in that. But that's generally not the problem. The problem is us, more generally. And so these are three spheres. Something else I'd say, so far as the church is concerned, is that it's not the church's responsibility to teach my children and raise my children or yours. Now, the church may and should supplement and reinforce what is taught in the home. But it's our responsibilities to bring our children up. And it's certainly not the responsibility of the government or the schools, though I'm not at all opposed to God being acknowledged in those places or any place. And His Word being respected. But let us move on for just a moment here and think about some excuses that people might give for not having family worship, a time to come together with the family and acknowledge the God of heaven and worship Him. And a lot of people would say, I don't have the time, wouldn't they? And some of you might say, well, I already have to get up at 5 o'clock. Well, get up a little before five, if you have to do that. Because, you see, the fact is that we find the time and we make the time for that which we recognize is absolutely crucial in our lives. And this is how we must approach this subject. Turn with me uh, for a moment to Mark chapter 1. There's a, an amazing passage there. In the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, I have long thought of this section of Scripture as being a busy day in the life of the Lord, and I would imagine that it was pretty much representative of the days of our Lord. In Mark chapter 1, beginning with verse 29, or let us begin with verse 21. 
Then they went into the Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and taught. Verse 23 speaks of that man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit. And we read of him rebuking the unclean spirit, the demon, casting the demon out. So Jesus spent some time teaching and ministering there in the synagogue in Capernaum. Now as we come to verse 29, we find as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served him. So here we have the miracle of Jesus healing the mother-in-law of Simon Peter. Verse 32 says, At evening when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. We're not told how long this took, but here the whole city, the whole vicinity came with their sick. And we may be sure that for several hours Jesus ministered Unto those people, his day was filled to the brim. But notice in verse 35, Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. After that extremely busy day, he didn't sleep in the next morning. But he realized, here is an opportunity for me to go to my secret place, my private place, and commune with my Father in heaven. If Jesus needed prayer that much, what about you and me? One thing that continues to amaze me about the life of our Lord is the fact that here he had the greatest mission of of any person who ever lived upon the face of the earth, But he was never in a hurry, and he always found time to do the Father's will. Oh, we make time for what is absolutely necessary. This is a problem of priority. Another excuse is not convenient. We might call that a problem of schedule. Certainly a problem in our time. And I tell you, I think that most families today with children in school are busier than they really need to be, that there are some things that they might let go. Some good things. The fact is that The good is oftentimes the enemy of the best and of the crucial. If you're looking for a convenient time, then you might as well give up. It's not a matter of convenience. 
The fact is that we are willing to sacrifice for those things that are deeply important to us. We're willing to pay a cost for those things. And another excuse might well be, I just don't know how. And that's a problem of technique. And as I look back in my life, the matter of family worship was always a very important thing to my wife and I. And uh, we didn't know how. And we probably messed up just a whole lot. I suppose if there are any hard, fast rules that you need to keep in mind is keep it simple and keep it short, unlike some sermons that some preachers preach. But keep it simple. With young children especially, you might want to use a Bible storybook and just read and talk about those great stories of the people of God. You know, the Bible is the greatest story ever told. You ever notice when you say once upon a time how the children's eyes light up? We need to understand that the Bible is the ultimate once upon a time story. It's the greatest adventure story ever told. It's the greatest romance ever told. And again, we need to fill our spirits. We need to fill our lives with that conviction, with that understanding. And then we'll have something to share with our children. Let's spend just a moment just a moment in talking about components of family worship. We need to spend time in the Word of God. And our children need to understand that we deeply respect the Word of God because we deeply respect the God of the Word. The narratives of the Bible need to be shared. Again, great narratives that have great appeal to them for any people of any age. The book of Proverbs. I think if there were one thing that I could do in my life, and raising my children, it would be to go back and study the book of Proverbs with them more consistently. Recognize that here is a book in the Bible that is designed for that very thing. It's a father talking to his son and telling him what real wisdom is all about. What a great opportunity to just open up the Proverbs day after day, and to talk with our children about the matters related there, the matters regarding relationship with the opposite sex, financial matters, 
what it means to be wise, what it means to be a fool. Spend time in the Word of God. I picked up a little book uh, a few weeks ago and haven't really had time to look at it a whole, whole lot, but it's entitled The One-Minute Bible. And it looks good, you know. It's just uh, passages of Scripture, one on each page that you can read in one minute. Some of the very elementary Scriptures to most of us. But we need to be teaching these things to our children. And again, don't get too deep with the little ones. Keep it simple. I remember one time when I decided, well, you know, I've talked about the characters of the Bible with my children, and we've talked about various principles in the book of Proverbs and other places, but I haven't really talked to them much about doctrinal things. And I just decided to study the book of Ephesians with my children. Now, my son at that time was about five years old. And he has two sisters older than him. Another little girl came along later. But uh, the girls were old enough to get some things out of it. And I tried to simplify some of these things that Paul gives us in the deep, deep book of Ephesians. And one day I looked at my son, and he was sitting there real still and quiet, which was unusual. And I thought, well, look at that. He's getting something out of this. And all of a sudden he fell off the couch and started flopping. He said, help, I can't swim. And so his mind was a thousand miles away. But it's still a good idea, you know. He wasn't ready for that. But spend time in the Word of God. You don't need to read a long passage in the book of Ezekiel and then a ten-page comment by G. Campbell Morgan. And whip the kids two or three times during the process of family worship, you know. Keep it simple. But spend time in the Word of God. Spend time in prayer. Keep a prayer list. That's good on an individual basis. That's good in the family. And teach your children to pray their own prayers. You don't really have to teach them that. They teach you. And stay away from the cliches and trite phrases that we're so comfortable with in our prayers. And let them pray and petition God for their concerns. One time when my oldest daughter was about probably four or five, maybe six years old, we got her a duck for Easter. That's back when they used to sell the ducks, you know. And that duck was just like a dog, you know. When we came home, that duck would come quacking, and that duck followed her around. And, and while we were gone one day, we lived in an old house uh, in Louisville, Kentucky at the time, and there was a, a hole in the uh, floor of the fireplace that ashes went down, and that thing was open, and and we came in, and the duck didn't meet us at the door. And we heard something quacking. 
And we looked everywhere, and of course, I've already given it away. The duck was at the bottom, about five or six feet down in that hole. And the thing had been sealed off out back where you got into it, you know. The fireplace hadn't been used for years, so there the poor old duck was. And I got a couple of sticks, a broom handle, and something else, and post old digger style, I worked and worked and dropped that duck about a dozen times. And finally got him up. Oh, that duck was a mess. That duck was bruised up. Wasn't quacking, covered with soot. And my daughter said, I'm going to pray for the duck. And I thought for a few seconds, I said, honey, don't pray for the duck. The duck's not going to make it. I, I just didn't want her to be disappointed, you know. I, I said, let's not pray for the duck. Let's just leave this in the hands of God. <laughs> she said, I'm going to pray for the duck. So she prayed so sincerely and from the heart I know for the duck. You know, the duck got well. <laughs> oh, we did have a limp. Now we think, well, God's not concerned about ducks and things little kids are concerned about. He's concerned about grown-up things. He's concerned about kids, I know that. Teach your children to acknowledge the greatness of God. Teach them to thank God for the blessings they have. To petition Him for the needs that they have, that their friends have, that their family has. Spend time in prayer. Spend time in praise. Beyond the praise given in prayers, you might read a psalm. Memorize together the hundredth psalm and some of the other great psalms. Sing a hymn of praise such as we've sung this morning. Learn those by heart. Spend time praising God. Let me say, spend time sharing your experiences. Because that's something the children really relate to. Back in Deuteronomy, the fourth chapter in verse 9, the law says, Only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life and teach them to your children and your grandchildren. Now, those children of Israel had seen some marvelous things. They had seen the great works of God. And we haven't seen the kind of things that they have, but let me tell you something. We've seen the great works of God, too. And we need to share our experiences with our children. We, we need to look for ways and for opportunities to illustrate the truths of God's Word with things that we have seen with our eyes, with things that we have experienced. 
There's a great deal more that I had in mind, but our time is really exhausted. I would close the lesson by saying to you that uh, our children are just with us for such a short time. Now, that's something I know. That's something I'm an authority in. And all of us who have children who are grown and gone, we know how true that is. And I've often thought of children as being like guests in our home. That's what they are, really. They're not permanent. Most of them are not. They're guests. They're going to be with us for a while, and then they're going to be going their own ways. And they're going to be making their own choices, and they have to make those choices. But we need to show them the right way. We need to teach it to them. We need to model before them, day by day, the way that they ought to go. And the bad thing about it is that none of us are going to do that perfectly. But you know, the fact of the matter is that when our children are small, they think we know everything, they think that we can do everything. And by the time they get to be 12 or 13 years of age, they know that we don't know everything. And that we can't do everything, but that's not the important thing to them. The important thing is the question, are they real? Are they genuine? And in my lifetime, I've, I've known some fellows who don't know a great deal, and there's a lot of things they can't do. And yet they're pulling off something that a lot of people who know a whole lot and can do a whole lot are not pulling off. They're raising great families because they're real. They're genuine. There's no hypocrisy in them. Our children need not only to get instruction from us, they need a model of someone who's striving day by day to worship and to serve the Lord. Let us do the best we can during this brief time that we have as parents to be that kind of model. I certainly hope this look at worship, and especially family worship, has been beneficial to you. We learned in this lesson that there are three spheres of worship, individual, congregational, and family we also learned what we ought to be doing as a family to worship God. Spend time in God's Word, spend time in prayer, spend time in praise, and spend time sharing our experiences. I hope this helps you draw closer to God and helps your family draw closer to one another and closer to God together. If you have any questions about worship, about worshiping together as a family, or about the Franklin Church of Christ and our worship of God, please give us a call at 615-794-2359. Or you may contact us through our website, www.franklinchurchofchrist.com. 
Perhaps someone gave you this lesson on CD or tape. If so, may I encourage you to go to that website I just mentioned. Again, it's franklinchurchofchrist.com. We have several other lessons in this series, Built by the Lord, our 2005 Fall Focus. Plus, we have numerous lessons on varying topics that you can download, both in outline and audio format. We hope that you will be able to use them to glorify God and draw others closer to Him. Use them however you see fit. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him. But more importantly, may you richly bless God.